It's good for us to know why we're here and what we're doing, and Mac has helped prepare us for that. The church in every generation has to ask the question, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? And then there are different responses, different attempts to explain the how and the why of church. This might surprise you, but for a long time, the church just fell into a regular sense of tradition. They had forgot to ask the question about owning the mission and the purpose. Not, not everyone, but I think it was true that there were certain churches that kind of just fell into a rut. You ever just fall into a rut? You're doing it, you don't know exactly why you're doing it, you're just doing it? It doesn't make you a bad person. It's, it's kind of one of, the, one of the difficulties of just going through life. And so this might surprise you, but a hundred years ago, somebody decided that what was really working in the world, what was really bringing about change in the world was therapy. Like beginning to talk about our feelings and how we're doing. And therefore, instead of church being that time where God's word was proclaimed and there was a, thus saith the Lord, there was a real movement within a lot of churches that became deeply influenced by this new psychological and sociological awareness, particularly in America, that they began to look at like church, like our time together right now as, as therapy. Hi, my name is Jim. I'm struggling with. And now, obviously, in a room this size with this many people, it's not going to work. We're not going to have time for everybody to share. But the purpose of then the sermon or uh, the, the proclamation of the word really became an opportunity to kind of help you through life. Anybody need some help today? Anybody want like just some, some encouraging words to help guide you or center you? Anybody looking for, well, maybe you're not looking for one. Any, anybody need a life coach with some really good words of wisdom? And the sermon became actually this, and I don't mean this even negatively, it can be a good thing to feel good, this feel-good moment. And the sermon and us gathering together became like a group counseling session. Everybody was hurting, and it's my job to try to share some really positive thoughts. Some, it was this, maybe you've heard the idea of the power of positive thinking. It was kind of developed in many ways to assist in the church context. I mean, you guys have had a rough week, so I'm here to make you feel better about life and about yourselves. Yeah, that was over 100 years ago in America. And it really began to take root. It didn't fix all of our problems. And so the church in the 70s and 80s, when a whole generation known as boomers, a whole generation decided to not go to church like their parents did. Don't know exactly why. And then it became an opportunity again for the church to go, hey, we need to do something like there are those that are kind of stuck in their tradition, and then we've got this power of positive thinking stuff, but maybe part of the problem are all the trappings of church, and so there became this big movement to let's not create barriers, let's not create obstacles, let's create a place where will seem inviting to those people who've abandoned church, and how do we get them back in? And so churches all over America began to pursue this, what was known as a seeker-friendly or seeker-driven movement. Why? In honor of Jesus' call that we would go out and bring in the lost. I get it. I'm really not here. Um, God has not appointed me to be judge of his church. 
I'm just grateful to be a part of this incredibly beautiful and yet complex and sometimes difficult and sometimes we get it wrong group of people known as the bride of Christ, the family of God, the church. And so church became, over the last, say, 30 or 40 years, um, it pursued this, this, this marketing. Maybe we have a marketing problem. Like maybe if we figure out a way to, to connect better or to become a, a social justice wing. And we're always chasing. We're always going after, like, God, what is it that you want from me? And I'm grateful to be a part of a church that's still trying to figure that out. Not, not because the church has always gotten it wrong or even that the church has always gotten it right. No, I, I believe there's a psalm that describes that, that each generation needs to understand the faith. That each group need, need to ask the question, like, why are we here? Why are we here? And I don't have a better place to do it than from the book of Acts. So we're starting this series this morning from the book of Acts entitled Jesus Plainly Spoken. And as Mac read to us this morning from just those first three verses, we have a short text this morning. In those first three verses, what we see and what we're going to answer today are three statements that, that Luke describes that order the book. See, again, the church isn't about providing just help to people, and the church isn't just about trying to figure out a way to, be, to fit naturally into society. What Luke is going to tell us is the church is a natural extension of the ministry of Jesus. That the church exists not just to help people, but to be the reflection of who Jesus Christ is. In essence, what we're going to see today is that the church is the kingdom of God, and Jesus is the king. And so Luke is going to unpack not just what Jesus did in the Gospel of Luke, but in the book of Acts, and then what his followers did after he was gone and gave them a mission to continue after him. So these are the three issues that we are going to be dealing with from our text this morning. The first one is this, what is it that Jesus began to do? Luke says, I'm walking you through, I'm helping you understand in my first book, Theophilus, which is the, uh, the, the person who was the recipient of this letter, the book of Acts. He says, in my first book, Theophilus, I, I began to describe everything that Jesus did. So we're going to talk about that. What did Jesus do? The second thing he says is not only what Jesus did, but what Jesus taught. And so we're going to learn about what did Jesus teach? And then Jesus, Luke says, spent the last 40 days between his resurrection and his returning to God, spent those 40 days talking about the coming of the kingdom. And the book of Acts literally is the unfolding, the appearing, the coming of God into the world through his people. And what you and I are going to do today are kind of get a, an idea what to expect from the rest of the book of Acts. Because as the book of Acts unfolds before us, and, and let me tell you, I believe this. And then as we go today, you'll be sent out today. As we go today, then there's a strong sense in which the book of Acts continues. That the kingdom of God continues to move. Based upon what Jesus did and what Jesus taught, the kingdom of God now is. And we can read about it in history. Jesus so clearly, so plainly, so boldly spoken. And then you and I get to go out and to live in that. Well, what did Jesus do? 
Luke says in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, I have dealt with, referring back to the gospel of Luke, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do. There was something that he did that was starting something that was new. And, and, and not that it was completely new, because Jesus loved to point out that the work that he was doing was just always the work of God. Like, what, what I'm doing is what God would do if he were here. The, the way that I'm acting and the way that I'm, I'm, I'm changing things, the way that I'm reaching out to those that are broken, one of the things that the Bible is so clear about, and yet so many Christians get this wrong, is that we don't have two versions of God in the Bible. You've got this Old Testament God who's kind of really, really angry, and then you've got this New Testament God, which is like the Old Testament God who's on some kind of like anxiety meds that's really kind of helping him through, Right? So you've got Jesus, and Jesus spends all of his time trying to calm God down. Hey, God, listen, like I'm just, I need you to try to understand where these people are coming. That's not what the Bible teaches, actually. It's not in the Old Testament, this God of power and wrath and anger. No, it's the God of the Bible who is a God of love and a God of mercy, a God of, 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 of steadfast love, a God of unending love, a God of kindness, a God of abounding grace. And in Jesus, we see the same God. And so the work that Jesus did is a continuation of what God did instead of it being a prophet, though now it's God in flesh. God in flesh, Jesus. There's something fundamentally different. And, and what does he do? I, I know I could have picked a number of different verses, and we're going to be basically looking in the Gospel of Luke so that we'll understand that the book of Acts is a continuation of what Jesus did. And in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, you can go there. I strongly recommend you underline it. So, if, by the way, if you just have your book of Acts this morning, oops, right? But Luke chapter 19, verse 10 is one of those verses that I strongly recommend that you underline. And this is what Jesus says. He is in the presence of some people that everyone else is shocked that he would waste his time with. And Jesus says in Luke 19, 10, don't be surprised at this. I don't know why you're shocked at this. I don't know why you don't get this. But I have come here for the Son of Man, he says. That's himself, referring to himself. For the Son of Man has come, here's his action, to seek and then to save those that are lost. So Jesus spent a lot of time in his ministry not just sitting back and waiting people to come for people to come to him. But he became very active in his movement. He went out. He sought out. And he didn't just seek out to hang out with. One of the things that the church really needs to hear as we think about who our Savior really is, well, it wasn't about just becoming friends or being friendly. But it was actually about just looking at life missionally. That life is, is something that, that God has given to us and and Jesus had 33 years, and in those last three years, Jesus spent his time actively seeking those that maybe others had neglected. Jesus spent his time surprising the people around him, even going places that it made them uncomfortable to go. And Jesus said, you, you really shouldn't be surprised when you look at circumstances and things like this. You shouldn't be surprised. This is what God has always done. This is what God is always about. God's purpose is to seek and to save the lost, and therefore that is my purpose as well. And so there may there be no confusion about this. 
The vision of the church that we are actually going to see in the book of Acts, and therefore the vision that you and I should model today as we leave here, is a church that recognizes that Jesus came to seek and to save us. And therefore, as part of our mission, as a big part of our mission, is to do as he has done and to seek and to save those that just can't really believe that God would die for them. They can't see anything beyond their own brokenness. They, they can't believe that there's any place that they could somehow fit and be a part of. That words like healing and hope and purpose and plan, that's for other people. And Jesus says, no, Zacchaeus, in Luke 19, that's for you. Like, I want you to come and be a part of this. And as the book of Acts unfolds, what we are going to see is a church that says, we want you to come and be a part of this. Not just so we can grow in numbers, but so that we can respond in the same way to how we saw Jesus acting with those people around them. Well, Jesus didn't only do this himself. If you look in Luke chapter 9, verse 2, what we see is, is that Jesus' ministry wasn't just like reduced to himself. Jesus wasn't just a man on a mission. But Jesus actually, God's plan and God's intent is to always invite other people to be a part of what he's doing. If you were to go back and, and you see in the, in the Old Testament, God was about to do something in Genesis 6. And so he comes down and he says to Noah, here's what I'm going to do. And so now I invite you to build a boat. He said to Moses, I, I see what's going on with my people in Egypt, and I'm going to rescue them, and now I am sending you to Pharaoh. Like David, I'm sending you to battle Goliath. Elijah, I'm sending you to remind the people that God is always bringing people in and then sending them out. And so when the Son of God comes, when Jesus comes, when we see in him seeking and saving the lost, what we actually see rather naturally is that he does the same thing. You probably know this. He invited 12 others to follow along with him so that they could see what life under God's rule looks like. That They could see God in action. And as they're watching him, they're not just taking notes and they're not just going, oh, that's kind of nice. I kind of like that. Oh, man, that guy's really encouraged. Man, that Jesus is a nice guy. Now, I guarantee you, Jesus is constantly saying, okay, I need you to pay attention because this is going to be on the test. Like, I need you to pay attention because I'm about to send you out. Like, I'm not here for you to just observe. But actually, I'm here to prepare you for the mission in front of you. See, we shouldn't be surprised that in the book of Acts, Jesus tells the disciples, I'm about to send you out into the world. Wait until the Holy Spirit comes, but then you're going out and the entire world is going to hear the good news. Because in Luke chapter 9 verse 2, Jesus already has sent them out. Luke 9 verse 2, and he sent them out, just like he was sent. He sent them out to do what? To proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So Jesus did, and Jesus invited others into his life for what purpose? To say, are you ready? Are you ready to go do this? Let's go do this. Well, that's what Jesus did, but what did Jesus teach? And I want to just encourage you to never, never keep the teachings of Christ and the actions of Christ as somehow opposites. We are living, I still believe we are living in an age where, where deep thoughts, particularly about God, are usually 
Um, we, we become suspect of them. After all, it says Jesus plainly spoken. G Jim, don't confuse it. Don't, don't clutter it up. It's really, really a simple thing. I, I get it. And there is a simplicity to, the, to God. And there is a simplicity to who he is. But when you reduce the simplicity of who Jesus Christ is, and you fail to see how it all fits together, do you know what you have? You basically have some kind of calendar that has really cool quotes for the day. Like a Bible verse for the day. And you get like a Bible verse for the day? Yeah, and there it is right there. And hear me, I get it. Sometimes that Bible verse really, really speaks. But I know of so many Christians that get a Bible verse for the day, and then their day just like unhinges them. I would even argue I, I, I don't believe the Bible comes to us like with a bunch of like tips. It, it, it's not... 365 really cool things that'll help you get you through your day kind of a book. It's not. It's designed to be a story of God who created the world and then the world rebelled against God and then God said, I'm going to redeem this world because I love the world. And he sends his son to die for the world. And then those who recognize who God is and their own brokenness and their need for him, then they say, I want to kind of fit in under this. Like that's the teachings of Jesus Christ. The teachings are not just, hey, I'm, I'm really tempted right now. Do you have a verse for me? Hey, I'm really struggling right now. I'm really anxious right now. Do you have a verse for me? Can we just be honest? At least I'll just speak for myself. That doesn't work. Trying to throw a verse at my life, my life is too big. My life will chew up that verse and spit it out. You know what it can't do? Like, it, it, it can't... My life, when it wants to just kind of do its own thing, it can't just bear under the weight of, of, of all of God's words spoken to us. We do this all the time. When, when my boys were, were in school, they went to a public school in, in southern Missouri, and they had like this um, uh, golden, golden rule, like child of the week kind of a thing, right? You guys know the golden rule? Do unto others. So here's a public school. They're not trying to say, hey, by the way, what we're trying to do here is help people understand what the kingdom of God is like. And we believe that every child should live under Jesus' rule. And so we want them to, to see how this one rule, how treating others the way we want to be treated, how that kind of fits into the overall life and development of a child. That's not what they're saying. You know what they're trying to do? They're trying to get two-year-olds to not kill each other. Or, sorry, second graders, not two-year-olds, second graders. That's what they're trying to do. I mean, that's what they're, hey, guys, be not, I'm not saying there weren't Christians involved in the process, but they were taking like bits and pieces. We do this all the time. We take bits and pieces of Jesus' teaching and try to input it into our lives. And I'm telling you, don't be shocked if that's not working for you because it was never designed to be that. Jesus is not here to give you some life tips. He's here to be your king. He's here to establish a kingdom. He's not just here to like save you so you don't go to hell. He's here to save you so that you can experience life under his guidance and direction. He's the one that's going to help you understand like how to live your life so college doesn't undo you. How your marriage, when it begins to struggle, where that doesn't make you want to just call it quits. I hear people wanting to call it quits all the time on the faith. I would argue that the vast majority, I don't know about all, but the vast majority of people that just decide to give up on God because he just didn't do what they thought 
had a version of God and an understanding of God that was far more of a, I don't know, like a Mark Twain or a Yogi Berra. That's a really cool statement. As opposed to God saying, I have made you, I have loved you. Here's what your life looks like when I'm directing it. So Jesus taught this. Luke chapter 4, verse 43, he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. He says, to other towns as well. Literally, the context of this in Luke 4 is Jesus is doing this stuff, and in the middle of doing this stuff, he says, okay, time out, I gotta go. I gotta go somewhere else. And they went, whoa, 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 Jesus, you haven't fixed everything here. And he's like, yeah, I know, but there's time. Which is a good reminder for us as a church. I really expect to die and still water to still have problems. Like I expect this entire generation, if the Lord should wait, we will all have a time where our lives will come to an end, but God's work will continue, won't it? So Jesus says, hey, listen, I know there's lots of stuff that I'm doing, lepers that need to be touched and people that need to be cared, and I I know that, but listen, you don't understand, there is more that needs to be done, and he says, I'm leaving here and I'm going somewhere else because I need to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. That's what he's here to preach about. He's here to preach that in his coming, God's final move in history, in human history, is actually in action. That we are now seeing, this is known as the the, the big story of God, that he created the world, everything is his, that we rebelled against him, but because of his love, he said, redemption is coming, and Jesus came, and we're living in the shadow of that, we're living in the overflow of that. But when Jesus began to preach, the good news was that the kingdom is here. And therefore, there is a a new way, a, a wonderful new way, a new peace, a new purpose, and a new plan that the world has never seen before. And God's love is right here, and God's power is right here, and God's spirit is right here. And that's what gives birth to the church. It is the actions but the teachings of who Jesus Christ is. In Luke chapter 8, verse 1, it says this, and soon afterward, he went on through other cities proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And I I just, I can't say this, um, I can't say this enough. Please do not look at Jesus as somebody that can give you a couple of quick things to relieve your anxiety or to center your purpose or to give you the strength for a new day. But Jesus, in the fullness of who he is, when he becomes your king, and not just like an advisor, but when he becomes your king, then life begins to get ordered. Think of it like an umbrella. And there are just so many of us that instead of living under this umbrella of of God's kingdom and God's plan and God's purpose over our lives, what we want to do is we want to take like snippets of it and then kind of just go and do our own thing. And those things unravel. Like marriages unravel. And careers unravel. And then you show up and the doctor says, "Um, by the way, I think you have cancer. And like your life unravels or you end up having like not just one prodigal, but it seems like all of them are prodigals. And then you have your own crisis of faith. 
So many times that happens because instead of like living under God's rule, it's his kingdom, right? And what do you do? What do kings do in kingdoms? They rule. Instead of living under his rule, you're living in your own kingdom and it's a mess. And you're just trying to figure out how to have a few little words of encouragement and technique to kind of deal with everything else that life is happening and you're going in and out and in and out and in and out. Church is something that you come to on Sunday. The reason why you're here is not because you're here to worship God in the fullness of who he is. You're here more, as Max said, just because it's what you do. You promised mom you'd go to church your first day, your first time at, when you were in college. So I'm just doing what I said. Okay? And, and, and by the way, as your life begins to unravel, remember the difference between you using snippets and um, really cool statements that Jesus has given instead of it being like a bumper sticker or like a tweet. It's a gospel. It's, um, it's not a bumper sticker. It's a kingdom. And that's why Jesus spends the majority of his time discussing this kingdom and bringing this kingdom and saying to his disciples as he's getting ready to leave, I want to talk to you about the kingdom. Acts chapter 1 verse 3, I want you guys to know about this kingdom that we are about to establish like, I, I want you to, to see it as, a, as a, big, a big deal. I want you to recognize that we're not here to create, like, a club. We're not here to, like, win, like, the moral majority. We're not, we're not here so that we can somehow, like, affect an election. We're not even here. Listen, we're not even here to cure all of society's problems. We're here to make much of our king. And to act like him in every, every situation we're in. Because whenever, whenever Christian people decide to take on a mission other than making the most of Jesus, we make a mess of it. And whenever we make the most of Jesus, and whenever we think about what he did and how he ministered to everybody, and the more that we recognize that we're not here to give tips about life, but we're here to help people recognize who the king really is and to help them experience the joy that hopefully you've experienced of life in the kingdom. See, that's the church. How many of you have heard this statement? People are leaving the church and returning to Jesus. I hear people talk about that a lot. Newspapers love to describe that. People are leaving the church in droves and returning to Jesus. You, you realize like that doesn't make any sense. You realize that's like foolish. Like when you see somebody write that, you have to understand like they don't know what they're talking about. Because the church is the people of God. Those people who love, how do you, how do you leave, how do you leave the church? How do you leave the people of God, the ones that Jesus died for, and think you're ever going to honor Jesus. Now, I get it. The church has made some mistakes. I'm not trying to say the church can't be honest about some of its failures. But when the church is living as Jesus lived. And when we respond, even in the needs of the community around us, as Jesus has responded. Like, I'm just going to say, like, that's when the church gets it. I can't promise Sunnybrook will always get it. But I can promise that as the Spirit directs us, we get it. 
Here are some words that Jesus said about the kingdom. He, he wants us to know that the kingdom of God has come and is established by the power of his spirit. It's not by the power of positive thinking. It's not by a great and smooth marketing campaign. A, a church in the, in the Chicago area when I was in college had this as their slogan, a church designed with you in mind. Thinking, wow, I, I, I don't need a church of a bunch of gyms. I really don't. I got a whole kingdom full of us and we're a mess. Like, I need a church that isn't designing anything for me. I need a church that's willing to tell me the truth about God and the truth about myself. I need a church that actually, like, embodies who Jesus Christ is. I don't need you to design anything for me. I need you to lead me to Jesus and help me become more like him. See, that's only things, only the Spirit can do that. Only the Spirit of God can bring about a transformation. We can't force it. We can't trick it. We can't manipulate it. And if any time we do, I promise you, it's not church. Our job is to respond to who Jesus Christ is. Why? Because his kingdom is amazing. Here's what Jesus says about the kingdom, or the book of Luke describes the kingdom. In Luke chapter 1, verse 33, this is the angel speaking about the kingdom. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom, that's Jesus' kingdom, that is, it's not entirely the church, but the church is part of his kingdom, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Good news is, you don't, I've heard people say that the church is one generation away from extinction. No, it's not. It will never be extinct because it's the church. It is the people of God and the kingdom of God will reign forever. Luke chapter four, verse five. Um, The kingdom of God is is, is something that that God is in control of. I love this statement. This is the encounter that Jesus has with Satan. The devil took him up and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. And he says to Jesus, if you bow down, you can have all of these kingdoms. My translation, Jesus says, I already have them, thank you. I don't need to listen to you. Like, I already have the kingdoms of the world. They're already mine. Don't try to get me to abandon God's plan and purpose. These kingdoms are already mine. Luke chapter 6, verse 20. A lot of these verses that we're going to look at, I just want you to see as the book of Acts unfolds, just how the book of Acts just looks like the teachings of Jesus. I hate it when people describe our church as a country club. I really hope it's not true. I I really hope that that we don't have, I mean, intentionally or unintentionally, any kind of requirement other than faith in Jesus Christ and a love and a devotion to him because Jesus says this about the kingdom. He lifted up his eyes upon his disciples who were just a hodgepodge of like fishermen and tax collectors and zealots. Like they really didn't have any special prestige. They had no great wealth. And Jesus said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. See, everybody else is, is, is looking for the big donor, looking for the one who is, is famous, and Jesus says, yeah, except for church. That's where everybody's welcome. Luke chapter 9, verse 60, in terms of the value and the importance of the church, a man comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, I really would love to follow you, but I got a lot of stuff on the schedule right now. And actually, can we just wait until my dad is dead? I really want to honor him, and I've got a lot of things that I want to do. Listen up, college students. Got a lot of things that I want to do, but after I get those things taken care of, then I'll deal with Jesus. By the way, this was my plan. I'm going to get through these certain stages of life, 
and my relationship with God, like that's, it's, it's kind of there. I just got other things that I need to do now. I'm telling you, there is nothing more important for you over the next four years than the kingdom of God. Nothing. You can try to, well, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm going to be a doctor. Wow. You've never had those before. No, you don't understand. I'm going to be an accountant. Oh, okay. You don't understand. I'm going to be, I mean, as wonderful as school teachers are, I think it's great that you're going to go make a difference in the second grade somewhere like McKinney, Texas. I think that's awesome. I'm telling you, if you don't take the kingdom into your practice, if you don't take your kingdom into that firm, if you don't take your kingdom into that school, So this man says, hey, Jesus, I'm going to wait until my dad is dead. Jesus says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. As for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. He, listen, he loves parents. Something doesn't love parents. But in the end, if you want to tack on the kingdom, you don't get the kingdom. The kingdom is the most important thing. Again, talking about just how diverse this is, Luke chapter 13, verse 29, here's what Jesus says about the kingdom. And people will come from east and west and from north. Like that's Canada, by the way. <laughs> north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. There is no barrier. It is where men and women and everyone from every nation come together. It is about the rich and the poor. It is about those that, that just, just naturally just wake up and get a 32 on their ACT. And those who take it five times and go, Mom, you're just going to have to be grateful for a 15. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how successful you are. It doesn't matter how much you have struggled. They come from everywhere to be a part of this. Now, religious people have always thought they got the kingdom better than anybody else, and Jesus loves to let them know, hey, easy, easy, Tarzan. Like, I know you're excited about this, but the truth is, is that um, the kingdom of God can't be manipulated and controlled all the time. Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21 Asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God is going to come, Jesus says, the kingdom of God does not come in ways that will be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is. Look how big this church is. We know the kingdom's there. Hey, look how much difference is happening in the world. We know the kingdom is there. Like, you and I always want to be able to have some kind of a tangible, visible, I mean this, worldly sign on the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, no, that's not the way it works. It's not, look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. For behold, the kingdom of God is in you. The reign of God is, is not how big, big we can build this church. It's not how successful we can be when we do ministry in Ghana and in Japan. We, we cannot even fully measure it. Only God can. It is our job to be faithful, and it is God's job to do the work. Do you know that? It is the Holy Spirit that does the work. So how do you get into this kingdom? Jesus has a comment on that, Luke 18, verse 17. For truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter into it. I love that reminder. It's, it's not about how smart you are, and it's not about how good you are. It doesn't matter how hard you try or how self-righteous you want to pretend that you are. Unless you become like a child. You know what, you know what I believe that is, is? Children just know they need help until they think they can do it on their own, and then you just think, oh, you grew up way too fast. But in that childlike moment where they just realize, like, I need your help to do this, can I ask you a question? Do any of you need God's help? Or do you think you got it? See, if you don't think you need God's help, 
And you don't know what it's like to be under the kingdom. And lastly, Jesus says in Luke chapter 18, that the sacrifice that we make is definitely going to be worth it. He says, for truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God that won't receive so much more in this life and in the next life even more. That the kingdom of God is something that will demand much of us. When we send you out, we're not just trying to send you out happy, but we're trying to send you out purposefully. And purposefully means there could be sacrifice. And sacrifice means that it might be difficult. And Jesus says the kingdom of God is worth it. That any sacrifice that you make is worth it. See, the kingdom of God is in you. And although Jesus says it's not visible like here it is or there it is, he does say that when people see our good works, they will give praise to God who is in heaven. Jesus does say that when they see your love for one another, that they'll know that you're the church. Jesus says there is a visible component to this. When we're going through the book of Acts, I want you to be looking for this, that the kingdom becomes visible when others witness God's rule over every aspect of their lives, that people will know that God is king when they see God working through every aspect of your lives, not just certain aspects, but every aspect of your lives. And that's what we're going to see in the book of Acts. Whenever we deal with books like this, um, sometimes it can just look like the Bible is full of these superheroes, like the great Apostle Paul, and there's been nobody like him, and man, look at that one guy, and he sold all that stuff, and isn't, the, isn't, isn't he amazing? And it's almost like there's these superheroes, and we'll never be that. You know, we'll always be Robin. We'll never be Batman, right? I love to be reminded of the fact that, like, in the Bible, it's really all about God, like God's not in heaven going, yes, I finally got Paul on my team. And I finally got Peter on my team. Peter's going, I can't believe I'm on this team. Paul's going, I can't believe I'm on this team. Paul's never like, man, God's lucky to have me. Paul cannot believe he's being invited to be a part of this team. So as the book of Acts unfolds, I want you to know that there's nothing that you see and there's nothing that happens in there that is too far or too great for you. That you can experience the same purpose and peace and joy. Because what we are about is the continuation of God's plan and purpose by the power of his spirit for the proclamation of his king who is Jesus who has changed the world by dying for our sins. Is that not amazing? That's why I want you to pay attention to, to how people are described because people in the Bible are usually described as pretty broken, pretty messed up. We, we love to be impressed by people, don't we? I remember one of the guys that I was always impressed with was the founder of the college where I attended. And he was speaking one time, and he was literally just a little higher than a hobbit. He was a small little man. And, and, and yet he was, he, was a, he, was a, he was a profound man. Very, very intelligent, intelligent man. He was asked to speak like a sermon one time, and in the middle of that, he was all excited about coming up, and the guy that was directing it said, and now I would like to invite to the stage our speaker for today, the great man of God, Brother Seth Wilson. <laughs> Seth comes up to the stage, and as Seth would do, he, he, the guy's walking off, you know, because he's introduced him. Hey, 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 before you leave, let me just help you with something. You got that wrong. Adjectives matter, okay, for those of you wondering grammar. Adjectives matter. You got them wrong. I'm not a great man of God. I'm a man of a great God. Please never make that mistake again. Now open up your Bibles and let's look at the text. <laughs> you realize that? We're not great sons and daughters of God. 
We're sons and daughters of a great God, are we not? This time I want to invite our servers to go back and to prepare uh, us gathering around the table this morning. You and I will be responding to the kingdom by holding in our hands. Are you ready for this? Holding in our hands the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Like that's what we're about to do. We're about to spend time celebrating this kingdom that we are a part of and, and we're not in it because I paid my dues and I'm not in it because, guess how, guess how many Bible verses I know? I'm, not in it because, I'm in it because Jesus has been kind and he died in my place for my sins and established a kingdom and invited me to come to this meal together. And, and we want you to know that um, as the trays are passed, we want you to take, if, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, by the way, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I really want to encourage you to just let the, the plate pass. It, it's really something for, for those who have experienced God's goodness in Jesus Christ. It, it's, it's not just a tradition. This really is for those who know a hope in Jesus to take it. And uh, you don't have to be a member here. No, no, no. You don't have to be a member here, but you do need to be like a follower of Jesus. And so the trays are going to be passed and, and you will hold in your hand a cup and some bread. And these things so powerfully symbolize Jesus. Um, many of you, I think, uh, this might even be your first time here. We just came through the book of 1 Corinthians where we spent a lot of time talking about and discussing what it meant to be the church, the body of Christ. And it's kind of interesting that we spent, well, I think the appropriate amount of time just saying, hey, don't forget you're not the only one in the room. Take a look around you. See who you're eating with. These are your brothers and your sisters in Christ. Like, I, I hope you love them and I hope you appreciate them. I hope you know that Jesus just didn't die for you. He died for each and every one of us. Remember those? And we talked about how important it is. Well, can I give you one other thing to remember? Not only am I in the room, and not only are you in the room, but Jesus is in the room. Like, the church has always been amazed by the fact that it's when we do this that Jesus is with us in a very real and profound way. I'm not, I'm not trying to manipulate that moment. I'm just telling you, like, you hold in your hands things that represent someone who is very real, who is in our midst. And I'm glad that you and I are here together but without Jesus. This is pie crust and this is grape juice. But because of what Jesus has done and the kingdom that you and I are a part of, this is the body of Jesus. This is his blood that has been spilled for us. And once everybody has some, we will take it together.